I know some of you are thinking, wow, he's really milking this. Well, you know, we could stay here for a long time and not really exhaust what God has said uh, about how he has created us to be. And there's going to be a lot that we're going to leave out. Um, But if you have a Bible and you would like to look along, uh, turn to Genesis 1. But I also want you to put a finger on Romans chapter 3. Now, if you don't have a Bible... Don't worry, the passages should be here on uh, the screens and you should be able to read along with us. So here is what God's word has to say from Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then from Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Let me pray for us. Lord, we believe that this is your word and that it is true, that it is your truth to us to teach us to rebuke us, to correct us, to train us in your ways and in righteousness. Uh, But Lord, we know we need more than just words. Uh, We need you. So through your word and by your spirit, would you meet us where we are today? Would you give us what we really need? Help us to hear your truth and to respond to it with real faith, with real repentance, and real obedience that can only come from you. And Lord, I pray that that would be the case for every single person who hears these words, who hears this sermon, that you would be at work by your Spirit and and would produce the real fruit, the fruit that would last, the fruit that would be to your glory, the fruit that would show itself in the way we live. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A 
so uh, my wife and I, we, we got married in the year 2000, in February of 2000. And uh, some of my friends, they asked me, Stuart, what would you like to do for your bachelor's party? And, and being the uh, person that I am, I said, here's what I would like to do. I would like to go see a movie. And that was it. That was all I wanted. You know, none of the wild and crazy stuff for me. Just take me to a movie. And they're like, okay, what movie would you like to see? And uh, back in 19, late 1999, the movie uh, Sixth Sense came out. That's M. Night Shyamalan's first, first film. And in that film, and so that's what we did. We went to see The Sixth Sense. And um, it was quite an, an adventure. <laughs> and Bruce, if you haven't seen the movie, Bruce Willis plays uh, Malcolm Crow, who is a, a child psychologist who is trying to help a nine-year-old boy, Cole, um, who is played by Haley Joel Osment. And if you don't know what Cole's problem is, it's a strange one. He sees dead people. <laughs> and what I mean by that is he, he sees ghosts, right? And so at first, Malcolm thinks Cole is, he's delusional, but then oh, eventually he thinks that maybe Cole really is seeing these ghosts. And so Malcolm, as being, trying to be helpful, he says, Cole, I think you need to try to help these ghosts finish their unfinished business here on earth so that they can move on to the afterlife. Now here at this point, I feel like I have to say as pastor, yeah, that is way off theologically, okay? But most movies are, so <laughs> just take it for what it's worth here. Now, so Cole helps this ghost with her unfinished business and finds that Malcolm was right, and so he wants to repay Malcolm by giving him something that will help him, and that's where the twist happens. Now, if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want to know, just put your fingers in your ears. But since this movie is 22 years old, I feel like if you had wanted to see it, you probably would have seen it by now we find out that Malcolm was dead the almost the entire movie. That he was a ghost. And only Cole could see him. And he had unfinished business that he had to take care of before he could move on. And Cole was trying to help him. So the whole movie is just, it's, it's twisted around and you go, what? At least I did at the end of the movie. I was stunned by it. But I have to admit, it's a great metaphor for us because um, it's really easy for us to not know who we really are. Bruce Willis went that whole movie not knowing that he was really dead. And for us, we can go our whole lives without really knowing who we actually are, what we are actually like what's really true about us. It's easy for us to miss the obvious about ourselves, but for various reasons, we just, don't, we just don't see it. Other people may see it, but we don't. Now, last week, we talked about how every single and married human being on the face of the earth is created in the image of God. Every one of us. And that gives us significant dignity and worth, whether we are the baby that's still in the womb, whether we are a 30-something professional who's really buff, um, or an 100-year-old on life support, every one of us has significant dignity 
and worth because we are created in the image of God. Right? But that is not all. That's not the end of the story. That's not all that our identity is. There's more than that. And it might even be a surprising part of our identity, given our elevated status as images of God. But even with our elevated position in creation as created in the image of God, we still have a humble status. Even though we are created in the image of God and we have an elevated status, we have an elevated position above all creation, we still have a humble status. Now, you you think, well, that sounds strange. How can we both be elevated and humble? How can we both have significant dignity and worth and yet at the same time have a status of humility? Well, that's what the sermon is about, to try to explain how that works out. You see, right from the beginning, as we look at this, and this is a point that I shouldn't have to say, but I have to. We are created in the image of God. We are created in the image of God. We are not God. I know some of you are like, well, duh, yeah, of course I know that but it's something we need to be reminded of. We are created beings, created in the image of God. We are not God. Again, let's take a look at Genesis 1, 26, 27 to make these points. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's part of our significant dignity and worth right there. And then God says again, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now what can we gather from this about our humble status? First, that we're created. We didn't create ourselves. I didn't one day decide, oh, you know what? I think I'd like to exist. Somebody else decided that for me, and that someone was God. God is the one who created us. He is the one who came up with the concept of human beings. He's the one who said, I want to make someone, and I want to make them in my image. And that's the second thing. Not only are we created, and that's a a status of humility, but second, we are created in the image of God. God didn't create another God. He created an image. Right? Last week, let's see if I can do this without spilling anything. Last week, I pulled out this picture of my children, and I told you this is one of my favorite pictures. And I told you how if someone took this picture and they tried to set fire to it, and, it was, and they were wanting to burn it, that I would get very angry over that because what you do to this image has a bearing on what you're trying to do to my children. It's how you feel about my children, how what you think about them. And in the same way, when we do something against an image of God, there's something to be said about how we really think about God. Because how we treat His image is in some way how we treat God. But at the same time, we have to recognize that this image is not my children. 
right? If something was to happen to this image, I don't lose my children, I just lose this image. My children are still safe and sound. Because there's a distinction between the image and the one the image images. There's a distinction there. And what that means is we are not God. We are His image. We are created in His image. And third, I want you to think about how God created us. In Genesis chapter 2, we read these words. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Okay, think about this. Not only do we see that God created us, and that's a, situ- that's a position of humility. Not only did he create us in his image, that means we're not God, we are something that reflects him, that we represent him, and we have a relationship with him, but that still, that still has a sense of humility about it because we're not God. But then Genesis 2, 7 tells us that when God decided to make human beings, He used something so humble, so lowly, so down to earth. (laughs) Pun intended. Dust. You know, God could have said, let there be human beings, and there were human beings, but He didn't. So what he wanted to show us is that even though we have these humble beginnings, and we should remember that we are dust from the beginning, but God breathed life into us and he said, you are my images and therefore you have significant dignity and worth. So we have both humility and worth, humility and dignity, both at the same time. That's hard for us to walk that tightrope sometimes. Oftentimes, when we're walking that tightrope, we want to lean more to one side than the other. Now, last week I talked about how many people sometimes lean too far on the, I'm not worth anything, I'm not significant, I I don't have dignity. We sometimes fall on that side. And we need to hear, no, God made you in in His image, and therefore you are created in the image of God, and you have dignity and worth. But some of us are tempted at times to go the other side and think we're all that in a bag of chips. To think we're Gucci. To think we are awesome and the world revolves around me. Numero uno. uh, Since I mentioned a a, a 90s movie um, in with uh, The Sixth Sense. Let me mention another 90s movie, uh, the movie Malice. I don't know if any of you have seen that one. Um, It starred Alec Baldwin as a doctor who was sued for malpractice, and he's very prideful. I mean, just, you know, all, he's he's so, uh, it's all about him. And during a deposition of the suit, Baldwin's character is asked if he has a God complex. And I have this quote from the movie that I want to read to you. We don't have it on screen, just want to read it to you. Here's his response. Do you have a God complex? And he says, 
I have an MD from Harvard. I am board certified in cardiothoracic medicine and trauma surgery. I have been awarded citations from seven different medical boards in New England, and I am never ever sick at sea. So I ask you, when someone goes into that chapel and they fall on their knees and they pray to God that their wife doesn't miscarry or that their daughter doesn't bleed to death, or that their mother doesn't suffer acute neural trauma from post-operative shock, who do you think they're praying to? Now go ahead and read your Bible, and you go to your church, and with any luck, you might win the annual raffle. But if you're looking for God, He was in the operating room number two on November 17th, and He doesn't like to be second-guessed. You ask me if I have a God complex, let me tell you something. I am God. Now, I don't know anybody in this room who would be so bold as to say something like that. But let's be honest. Aren't there times when we feel a little bit like that? Where we feel like the world should revolve around me. Like when we're driving on the street and we're late to an appointment and every light we hit is red and we think this isn't fair. This isn't right. Those lights should turn green for me because I'm late. Don't you know who I am? Or when we're in a relationship with someone and the person forgets something significant about us, don't you know who I am? Don't you know how important I am? Shouldn't you be bowing down to my every whim? Come on now. We all have that tendency to lean on the other side of the tightrope and fall off on thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. And that's why it's important for us to remember that that tightrope that God made us is that we are right in the middle of recognizing I have significant dignity and worth because I am created in the image of God, but I am not God. I am created in the image of God, and therefore I am to be humble. You see that? And we not only see that from Genesis, and we not only see that from just the way we were created, but there's something else about us that we cannot, (laughs) we cannot forget. That we exist. The reason that we exist is to reflect the glory of one greater than ourselves. I'm going to put this over before I break it. We exist to reflect the glory of the one greater than ourselves. When, when uh, my children were little, we read them this book. It's called Full Moon, Full Moon Rising. Not full as in F-U-L-L, but full as in F-O-O-L. And the book is really about how the moon thinks it's all that. And it starts off, <laughs> you hear like, He's not going to read from this book, is he? Yeah, I am. 
Dear God, I heard a cosmic story and wondered if it's true. The moon was stealing glory, and this is what he'd do. He bragged each night that his great might could make the darkness flee. And like a kite, he scaled the heights and said, hey, look at me. The pompous moon would only croon the songs that praised his name. He hoped that soon the cosmic tunes would bring him greater fame. It's really strange, but he could change his shape throughout the year. His face would change, then rearrange, and sometimes disappear. He loved the thought that astronauts had danced across his face. And cosmonauts and monkey knots would visit him in space. He bragged that he could cause the sea to rise and swell each day. Then all could see how mightily he'd pull the waves away. He'd boast away and love to say, I am the greatest light. Until one day, a piercing ray showed him a shocking sight. He saw his pride and then he cried for all that he had done. For he had lied when he denied his light came from the sun. So now each night a new delight is what he loves the most, reflecting light with all his might. The sun is now his boast. That is the way we are created to exist, not to brag about ourselves, not to bring glory to ourselves, not to bring honor to ourselves, but to reflect back the glory of God, so that when people see us, they don't go, wow, what a great guy, what a great gal, what a great person. They say, what a great God who would create someone like that to reflect his glory. We exist to reflect the glory of one greater than ourselves, and that means that we, we have a status of humility. We don't brag about ourselves. We boast in the Lord. But third, the third thing we need to remember, and this is the one that is maybe the hardest for us. Okay, it's one thing to say, yeah, okay, we were created from the dust and we're in his image. So yeah, that's humility. And okay, I'm supposed to reflect his glory and not bring glory to myself. I get that. But the hardest one to really stomach, the hardest thing for us as human beings to really grasp is that none of us, none of us live up to the standard of what it fully means to be created in God's image. None of us. In Romans 3, Paul is talking about how the Jews had received the Scriptures. The Jews had received so many good things. And they should have known better, but then they too fell under sin. It wasn't just those Gentile pagans who didn't know anything about God. Everybody, every one of us, falls under this condemnation of sin. 
And so in Romans 3, verse 9 and 12, he says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. And here he quotes various places from the Old Testament. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. If you take that for what it really is saying, that is a humbling message. What do you mean, I'm not righteous? No, you're not. Not by yourself, you're not. Wait, are, are you saying that I don't do anything good? Not to God's standard, no. To human being standard, yeah, we all do good things. But when God's standard is way up here and the human standard is way down here, I mean, it's not like you're doing a whole lot. Wait, you're even saying that I don't seek for God? I, I'm in the church. What, do you, what else do you want? Yeah, but we can come to church for all kinds of reasons. For social reasons, for tradition, because we don't have anything better to do, because there's something that we like about the service, but is it really about God? And I think all of us have been there before where we, we do all the religious things, but our heart is far from God because what we want is what we want. It's a self-centered religion, often where it's all about what I want. What am I getting out of the church? Not what am I giving to God, right? We all have been there. Let's just face it, we all have. Because there is no one who is righteous. There is no one who is good. And this is part of the outrageousness of sin, as John F. Kilner says. Part of the outrageousness of sin, then, is that it causes people to contradict who they are i.e. who were they were created to be. You were created to be an image of God, to reflect His glory, to represent Him to everyone around you. You were uh, created to have a relationship with God, and yet we do not represent God well. We do not reflect His glory well. And oftentimes our relationship with Him is broken and shattered. That's the outrageousness of sin. That it causes us to be something that we were never meant to be based on the way God created us. And that leaves us with this sense of, yeah, I, I need humility. <laughs> I, I, I need humility. And there's one more point. One more that actually is the good news, but it's also a reason for our wanting to embrace humility even more. And it's this, that Jesus embodies humility, even though He is Lord of all. Jesus, the Lord God, the One who put on flesh and became like us in every way, the One who lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father, 
and the one who now rules and reigns over us and we call him Lord as Christians, he embodies humility even though he is Lord of all. And he did that for us so that we would be set free from our sin. So that we, even though we are creating the image of God and we fail to live up to that, that we would start to live up to it again. That we would begin to really reflect God, to represent Him, to have a relationship with Him. Jesus filled in that gap for us so that we could do that. Because in our pride, we sometimes act like the world revolves around us. But in His humility, Christ was willing to put on flesh and subject Himself to a human life on this revolving world. In our pride, we can look down on people we think are beneath us. But in His humility, Jesus came down from heaven to seek and to save that which was lost. In our pride, we like to hold on to our positions of privilege and our positions of power. But in humility, Jesus was willing to lower His status for us. In our pride, we tend to push and drive and demand others to work for our own benefit. But Jesus, in His humility, comes to us and He says, come to Me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In our pride, we tend to want others to serve us, but in His humility, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. In our pride, we want the place of honor at the table, but in His humility, Jesus was willing to take the role of a servant by washing the feet of His disciples. In our pride, we think if it's going to be done well, I've got to do it myself. No one else is going to do it. But in His humility, Jesus shares His ministry with people like us. In our pride, we don't like it when someone surpasses our performance and makes us look less than but in His humility, Jesus said that we who believe will do even greater works. Let that one sink in. In our pride, we dress to impress. But in humility, Jesus was stripped naked, was beaten and hung in shame to die for us. In our pride... We tend to obey God when it suits us. But in His humility, Jesus obeyed His Father even to the point of death. Even death on a cross. In our pride, we think we shouldn't have to wait patiently for anything. Don't get me in a line at Walmart. But in his humility, Jesus' body stayed dead in the tomb until being resurrected on the third day. In our pride, we tend to want all the honor and the glory and the praise for ourselves. But in his humility, Jesus is willing to share something of his glory 
with us. Now, Christian, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, if that doesn't make you say, I want to be humble, nothing will. Because this is your Lord. This is your King. This is your Savior who did all of that for you. And therefore, we not only say, yes, I I have a humble status because I am created in an image of God. I am not God. Yes, I am to reflect His glory back to Him. And yes, I have fallen short of that glory. I have sinned. I have fallen short. But Jesus, Jesus has come to set me free from sin and death. And He says, follow me. And so I say, what do you want, Jesus? And He says, live a life of humility. And we say, yes, Lord. Yes. So, if you like action points, here's something for you to think about. An action point that you can do. Cultivate genuine humility in your life by reminding yourself daily of your humble status. What does that look like? Maybe that looks like something similar to what we talked about last time. Take a little sticky note. And on that sticky note that maybe you made last week where you said you, are, you have significant dignity and worth because you were created in the image of God, put a little asterisk there and say, okay, there's another part. Put another sticky note and say, remember, you were created from the dust. And to dust you shall return. That's humbling. Maybe it means every morning you just remind yourself of the truth of, I am created in the image of God. I am not God. I am created to reflect His glory. So Lord, help me to reflect Your glory today. Or maybe that just means we remind ourselves every day of what we read in Philippians 2, that even though Jesus, He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant and he humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then the Father was the one who exalted him. And we too, we would like to be exalted, but the way to be exalted is to remember I go through humility first. So let's remind ourselves of those things every day. And by the power of the Spirit, and in the name of Jesus, let's grow in living out of our humble status in our everyday lives. Let me pray that we'll be able to do that. Father, it's hard for us to walk that tightrope that you have created us to be. That on the one hand, we have significant dignity and worth and 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 we want to live that out, but at the same time, there is humility because you created us from the dust. We're your images who are to reflect your glory, not our own. And we've fallen short of that glory. So fix our eyes on Jesus and help us to see the beauty of humility as he humbled himself for us, as he made himself nothing for us, that we too would be willing to humble ourselves and embrace humility, not just as something to do, but to be something that we are, that we are humble people because we have a humble Savior. Help us in this, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.